Hello, everyone. Dr. Jim Hoven here from the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, and I'm so excited to be with you today because today, just like every day, I have the chance to visit with someone who is so amazing and cool in what they're doing and who they're doing it for that I just couldn't wait to bring this to you. And um, this special guest, Mr. Rudy Gonzalez, is from a, a dear, dear friend of ours who actually is a key team member in our um, in our organization, Tammy Quintana. And so uh, she has connected with Rudy and known him and uh, was kind enough to bring him to us. And I can't wait for you to hear the story of this incredible man. And not only that, but what he's doing through the Servicios de la Raza uh, organization here in Denver. And I think you're gonna be amazed and I think it's gonna inspire you to A, do something uh, like what he's doing in your own community or B, maybe even get involved in what he's doing and he and his team. And it's a growing team, it's an expanding team. And I can't wait to share this information with you. So uh, without any further delay, Rudy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Doctor, right? <laughs> so okay. they say. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Uh, yeah, Rudy Gonzalez, I'm president CEO for Servicios de la Raza. Yes, well, you know, um, I had the chance to uh, learn about you guys from the outside recently in that we at Ramos Law are always looking to partner and connect with different service-based organizations. And as it turns out, uh, we have been working with several over the years, and Tammy brought your information to me and I had a chance to review it with our team and I was fascinated. I'm like, can we get this person to come on the show and, and share what all you're doing? So um, can you give us what uh, what you guys do in a nutshell, kind of in a, just a thumbnail and then we're, we'll go deeper into the stuff, but just kind of a overview of, of how you serve the community and define the community that you do serve. Well, it would probably have to be a coconut, so a little bigger nut, right? Okay, okay. Uh, uh, but the organization, uh, we are in our 50th year as an organization. Uh, that was Chicano and Chicana founded in 1972 in North Denver, uh, Northwest Denver, uh, by a bevy of Chicano and Chicana community uh, people that included uh, people that worked for agencies uh, within uh, Denver, uh, people who came from um, different communities in Denver, uh, and and it was what I call a birth child of the Chicano movement, in that it was an agency that was born uh, out of the movement uh, where the concepts of self-determination and autonomy were were extremely important were they coming into the community at that time the, the, in a the, different way when you say the movement yes and it's uh, actually some of the founders uh, also uh, were members of the crusade for justice which was an organization that was founded by my father rodolfo corky gonzalez in 1965 um, and that was an organization that uh really i, I as uh the leader of servicio zelarosa for the past 14 years I've kind of emulated uh, in rebuilding the organization that is now Servicios de la Raza uh, to be that strong, not just service organization, but also advocate, advocacy and activist organization. I love that, that is so civically much. engaged uh, at many <clears throat> levels uh, and, and uh, so much so. Uh, but again, we're in our 50th year. We did this March, past March. 
2022, we turned 50 years old. Man, and you look great for 50, yeah, right? I know, this, huh? that, yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to ask oh, you. I'm is way your, past that, Doc. I, I know. I mean, just the, the organization. You look less than 50. Hey, I, I want to ask, um, because you mentioned your father and the organization that he had started and how there was some emulation of that in uh, Servicios, did you grow up in a family of um, service of, we'll call it nonprofit for lack of a better term, of giving back to the community? Is that what your family was all about? And that's how you got so interested? Well, uh, you know, I, exactly. I'm a child of what we call the Chicano movement. Uh, Define mo that. And the Chicano movement was a movement that was uh, kind of emulated the black civil and human rights movement of the 50s and 60s and 70s. The Chicano movement um, really took hold in the 60s uh, and, uh, and and really kind of apexed and uh, came to a pinnacle in the uh, 70s, right, uh, with uh, very much influence. Of, you know, it, 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 at that time in this country, um, uh, it was a black and white uh, situation. And... The Chicano movement really ro uh, raised significantly the profile of Mexican-American people living in our historic homeland, which is the southwest here of the United States, which many years ago, over 170, was actually Mexico. And so uh, was lost in the Mexican-American War of 1848. And so overnight, I became, you know, Mexican-American. Uh, or my ancestors. Right. Anyway, and my dad used to call us uh, and he used to say, and pretty accurately saying, you know, we became second-class citizens and that we became orphans of Mexico and stepchildren of the United States. What and, a great description. I mean, it's horrific. It shouldn't be that yeah. way, but wow, that's yeah. profound. And, you know, and so uh, my father was born in Denver in 1928, and he was actually uh, became very famous as an athlete and became Denver's number one athletic drawing card in the late 40s, early 50s as one of the top fighters in the world. Really? Yes, as a professional fighter. He was uh, one of the first amateur national champions in Denver's history in 1947 as a bantamweight. And then as a pro, he was got a, as high as a number three ranking in the world. And that's when there was only eight weight divisions when boxing was one of the king of sports, not football. Yes. You know, it was horse racing, baseball and boxing. And he was idolized in Denver. He was the golden boy and he was, and you can go and do your own research and all of the new, the Denver Post and Rocky Mountain news. Uh, and he was front page sports news, uh, from 1940, six through 1955 is retirement wow and and so he had this hard side of a fighter and a literally a world fought contender. his way out of abject poverty he literally. was a child of the depression yeah but then how did he get this side for man i, I want to help was, and start he this was, organization i'll tell you what this man was a piece of work <laughs> he was a special uh spirit and i don't we're never going to see another one like him not in my lifetime i know and uh, uh, absolutely fearless and you know, whatever he put his hand to, uh, he was successful. He helped Quig Newton become mayor in 1947 as a 19-year-old helping his campaign. Good grief. So he got involved in democratic politics. Then he uh, started his own businesses. He had the first sports bar in Denver, Corky's Corner on 38th and Walnut when he was still fighting, had his brothers running it uh, down on 38th and Walnut in East Denver. 
called Rhino now, um, you know. And so, uh, but, and then he left all that and he, uh, he was a voracious reader, number one, and uh, l- l- loved reading and taught us all and uh, really made sure we all became avid readers uh, early on. And that has just carried us through. Big That's, family? Uh, eight, uh, six sisters, a, a brother, and 47 nieces and nephews now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, one of my nieces is a state representative, uh, Serena Gonzalez Gutierrez, who just announced she's running for at-large city council for Denver. And she's just won her seat back for eight House District 4. Uh, my son is in D.C. He's been there, Sergio Gonzalez, since uh, 14 years. He went out with Senator Bennett. He helped craft the – he was the only – actually Mexican-American or Chicano to serve on the Gang of Eight and uh, as the senior aide to Senator Bennett and help craft the uh, Reform Act law. That should have passed then. We wouldn't be having all these problems that we continue to uh, manifest here in this country with our mm. uh, with immigrants and people coming for a better life. And, uh, you know, and so he, he went out there and then he became deputy chief of staff of USOPM with the White House under Obama. And and he left and went with Hillary. We all know how that turned out. And uh, uh, then he joined Kamala Harris as her senior aide for three years. Wow. Now he's the head of the uh, National uh, Immigration Hub. So you guys have Congress a, a, and White House on humanitarian immigration reform. That's, yeah. That is nuts to me how much, um, how Very deep the it. roots are for, for um, service in your family. Is that how you got to servicios in, well you know start? it's my 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 <clears throat> trip was a long one uh, in getting to servicios but when the opportunity came to uh to be considered to be hired by the board at that time the board um uh the board of directors of that at that point uh, uh, i jumped at it and in in i was it was a circle for me because it was coming home, so to speak, to, and I worked for the state, I worked for the city, I've, I've had a lot of different experiences. Um, I'm former educator, and, and what level? Uh, secondary, and 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 well, actually, I opened K five startups in Phoenix and Ohio nice. for a year, uh, and administrated the school I started in Youngstown, Ohio, for uh, a year. Uh, in the barrio there, in in the ghetto there, the black and Puerto Rican ghetto, and uh, uh, but you know, so pre K through twelve, I've taught, and wow. so yeah, uh, it's been no, not pre K, probably K through twelve. But former educator, English uh, teacher, did a lot of English teaching, ESL uh, writing, literacy, vocabulary, grammar, so um, cool, reading. You know, and so, yeah, a uh, lot of different experiences. But getting the servicios job, uh, I was 50 years old. You know, it was like coming home. It was going to lead a, albeit it was in three months to six months from closing. It was in a really, really significant deficit. But being able to come home and, and work to rebuild uh, an organization that was so venerable in our lifetimes, especially in the Chicano Chicano community in Denver, uh, that you either got services there, you worked there, or you served on the board there if you were Chicano Chicano in Denver. 
uh, Servicios was really well known since it, when it, since it opened, right? And it was like completing a circle in my life to come home and run this organization and rebuild it in, 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 in a way that I knew, that I grew up in, uh, in, a, in a way that treated everyone with dignity and respect. I call it cultural responsivity. That's what we use. We don't, I don't believe you can be competent in a culture. Uh, I think because there are, and I'm not just talking ethnic and linguistic, I'm talking the culture of the streets, of poverty, of prisons, of gangs, uh, 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 you know, of hopelessness, of nihilism. Uh, there are a lot of cultures. Being responsive to a culture means you meet the people where they're at, you respect their lived experiences, you engage them in their own healing, and you hold them responsible too. It's like it's like education. You gotta hold the youth responsible to their own academic achievement. Mm. You gotta get them responsible, but you gotta engage them. It's about building relationships because uh, I found as an educator, you can't teach content without relationships. Yes. And so, but it's, a, it's simply about dignity and respect. What do you think, <clears throat> you just brought up such a important concept, at least in my mind, this concept of cultural accountability, cultural investment, cultural growth and building. Do you have a thought or an opinion on, I'm sure you do, on how do we cross pollinate the different cultures so that we don't come into an isolation of, you know, our culture's the best, and if you're not part of us, then you're them. How, how do we go about doing an inclusive culture to keep our self-identity, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter, pick the, the ethnicity or the race or whatever you wanna pick or the religion, pick the camp, but then how do you say, but yet we were all still part of the human tribe? Is that, because you're coming from such a unique perspective, in a culture, is there a way to bridge that in your mind, and how, how do you do it? I think back to my father, who <clears throat> um, did such incredible work in his lifetime, and uh, you know he wrote a, a poem that's an epic poem, uh, and actually Googled, uh, uh, and you can Google him. There's about 200 pages on him, and also you can find his uh, the doodle that Google. Uh, dedicated to him a year ago, October 1, 2021. Uh, they are 20, yeah, 2021. They, um, over a year ago, a 24-hour dedication, their doodle to him. Uh, I had worked with Google in 2018, over three days with their teams from San Francisco and New York, and the artists and the film teams, and they put the whole uh, film together on him. They dedicate the doodle for 24 hours internationally. We had 148 media organizations from five continents in 67 languages do a story that day. Wow. His doodle. And, and so his poem con connects his poem, the dots. His poem is considered the epic poem that Clarion called the precursor of Chicano literature and arts in the United States. And it was called I Am Joaquin. It's called I Am Joaquin. Joaquin, and it was sort of an anthropological dig of his own identity and finding his own identity, who he was and who we are as a people in the process. And if you read that poem, and I, I had my professors at Metro when I was in college and got my degree in English, right, literature and writing, they'd say, you know, we read that poem, Rooney, your dad's a humanitarian because he's, he, was, he was very controversial and people, we are controversial people, because uh, we will push back when it's 
around equity, justice, and peace. We're going to stand up and we're going to show up and stand up, right, uh, for our communities. And the litmus test is easy. If it's people or community, we're going to be there. And that's any people or community. Mm -hmm. When I say the culture of poverty, you know, I mean, we serve uh, 30% Caucasian, 30% black, and 30% brown people coming out of our prison systems in Colorado. Through Servicios. We are the number one reentry program in the state, community reentry program. Our recidivism rate with over uh, close to 3,000 served at this point uh, is less than 4%. What's the average? Because that's the, way, uh, way below the good average. rate in Colorado is forty-five percent. So ten x, ten a times 45%, better. A, a bad year is seventy percent. Oh I know. I gosh. worked for. Uh, I helped build the youth offender system in the nineties, and and I worked for DLC for five years. So wow. I really understand that penal system. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. so yes, it's an amazing. Mm. I mean, last year with four hundred fifty uh, uh, people coming out of prison. We had a 0.96 recidivism. Come on, that's crazy. What, what do you attribute that to? I, I, I attribute to what I call cultural responsivity. Some of our staff have done 21, 31, 11, three years in both federal and state pens. Okay. And so they know how to work with their clientele. They know how to keep them responsible how to keep them uh, engaged, how to get them engaged, how to get them excited, motivated, and inspired around the work to be successful and not, you know, do life on the installment plan, which my dad yeah. also used to say. Wow. <laughs> what, is there a way to scale the program that you guys have to, if, if, it's, that, if it's that effective for recidivism, well, we have about 19 community uh, uh, reentries around uh, that we work with uh, that mm-hmm. are partner organizations uh, around the state. And so we do share uh, uh, what we do and stuff. But, you know, it's just uh, it's our people. You know, we have some incredible people. I, I've been very fortunate in the hires that we've made over my 14 years. And we've lost our share of people. You know, there's turnover that happens. But I think we've gotten so much better at this point in building the organization, especially in the last two years of building a strong organization with a strong administration that really thinks about and takes care of our staff. Because social services, you're only going to be successful if you put community first, program second, and you last. Mm. And that's tough. Yeah. And so we've got to be as administration, I got to be as a president CEO, very, um, uh, very cognizant, very uh, aware of my staff around uh, their own vicarious trauma, their own yeah. mental health uh, and health. And so we do. I, I do. I, I provide almost 80 hours uh, uh, a year off of administrative time uh, that it, I, I'll add time to holiday. We'll make a three-day holiday a four-day. Uh, we will shut down during this holiday uh, from Christmas through New Year's mm. because it's very slow, number one, but also it's important. It's important to do that for staff. You know, uh, we finally started our 401k. We've done a lot of things to really help develop a, a 
healthy staff mm-hmm. that is going to, and and plus I think we offer, uh, <coughs> excuse me, plus I think we offer uh, something a lot of other organizations don't. We offer a purpose bigger than ourselves. Our mission statement is to provide and advocate. Those two verbs are just as important as each other. You know, culturally responsive, essential human services and opportunities. So that means advocate. We are mm-hmm. also, we don't, we're doing half the job if we're just serving the problem and we're not addressing the systemic and root issues of poverty. So so let's go to that for just a second. And, and before we go on to poverty, because I, I want to get across in, in the show the variety of services that you offer. Because sure. it's, 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 uh, it's really intriguing and amazing to me. But kind of staying on the theme that we did with the reentry program, folks coming out of incarceration, when you get them, it sounds like you're working with partner agencies, you're doing all this. I, I can't get past the low recidivism, recidivism rate. Recidivism? Thank you. Uh-huh. Between the two of us, yeah, we yeah. get it right. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm thinking, why, why isn't this applied? When I say scalable, why isn't it applied at a, a state or a federal level in order to try to drive those numbers tor- closer to your numbers? Because, doctor, yeah, uh, it's been what I've been harping about for 14 years. And we're starting to finally to get government's ear around it. I've worked for both the state and I've worked for the city of Denver, Denver Human Services. For the state, I worked for the Department of Corrections, helped build the youth offender system in the 90s under Gov- Governor Romer and uh, Executive Director Zavaris, who is Denver's ex-police chief under Pena. And it's what I say. Is government, oh, you know, they, they really try at doing programming but they're lousy at it. Mm. And what's imp- what they need to start doing is identifying the organizations, specifically the organizations of color that don't have capacity but are doing great work in our communities and help them, number one, bring resources to build that capacity, and number two, continue those resources to serve community. Beautiful. And with cultural representation and cultural responsivity, that's what it takes. And when government does that, when they partner and put the gas in our tank and let us drive, uh, they're going to be successful in programming. And we're going to be successful in programming and serving our community and expanding that programming and meeting the needs, the, the, the huge needs of community. People ask me, you really you can't do everything. And that's right. You know, but we're going to damn well try because the quote is uh, the social determinants of health are vast. It warrants a vast response. Yes. And you guys are providing that vast response in another (sighs) direction. You help kids. So you have people that are coming out transitioning from one life to another. But also you have these children that are transitioning from one way of life to another. If they're going into a different level of school or a different college or whatever, talk about the services that you guys have for children. Well, you know, our behavioral health services, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, we started in 1972. Our mission statement was to provide mental health services in Spanish. And, you know, we, as I just stated the mission statement, we've simplified it a little more and kind of, uh, grew it out and made it more inclusive, right? Central human services, cultural responsivity to all, right? 
and opportunities too, not just services, but opportunities to, to stabilize, to thrive. And so with youth, uh, you know, we offer a lot of youth leadership programming, which uh, we do cohorts of like uh, four months, two Saturdays a month with the graduation in June around uh, leadership. But it's steeped in our mm. heritage. We also teach our culture, our history, our heritage uh, to our Latino youth that they don't get the same, the learning that they do not get in public schools or charter schools. Uh, you know, in this country. And so something that's going to help them build their self-esteem, build their self-confidence, help them to understand who they are and develop and manifest that identity into success, right? And, and keep their, you know, stand tall and, and keep your head high. And we come from greatness and we have been huge contributors to the building of this country. And so things like that. But we also uh, provide uh, intervention, uh, mental health intervention around the risk factors of suicide, of, of uh, dating violence, of sexting, of bullying, all these factors of, uh, and now pandemic, right? And, and isolation and nihilism. Uh, and when I say nihilism, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's feeling worthless, you know, and like I don't have nowhere to go. And I, I, I don't want to live. I don't want to go on suicidal ideation. Right. And then we bring it together and we we do it in both languages and both Spanish and uh, and English. And because we find our immigrant refugee children, you know, are acclimated a lot quicker than their parents who are at home and give that some time. And there's going to be a lot of friction happening yes. uh, in the family. And so then we include the family in that too, the parents. Uh, and it's a 12-week session, right? And, and leadership Parallel, and they come together for four weeks after eight weeks, and we do them to get to strengthen family. And it's called Familias Adelante. And then, um, you know, we're also working with Joven, uh, to implement Jovenes Nobles, which is a healing, indigenous kind of healing uh, module that uh, is multiple we, uh, weeks and also can be taught bilingual. What does that look like? Like what's within the modules? Well, I mean, it's talking about, uh, it, it also exposes them to uh, sweat lodge, to what we call a NIPI up here in North America, and they call temescals in Mexico and South America. So these are purification ceremonies, prayer ceremonies, healing ceremonies that every indigenous culture in this globe has, right? So even our Caucasian and our Irish and then they have the yeah. purification yeah. lodges, right? Mm -hmm. Where you go get clean. Yeah, sauna type things. Yeah, right, yep. right. And and so this is these are things that they're exposed to, right? Uh, exposed to, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, different ways to uh, come together and talk, right? The talking circle, the talking stick, right? The indigenous way of of coming together to discuss and bring out problems and, and help with those problems, right? Man, and so uh, it's a healing. It's a it, it's a it's a it's a journey of healing, uh, Jovenes Nobles, which is noble youth, uh, you know, translated. And so, uh, and Familias Adelante is families forward, right? Going forward in, in a good way, in a productive way. So we do, and we also provide uh, clinical behavioral health, uh, both substance uh, misuse, 
peer counseling, also clinical intervention with uh, with LPCLEC therapists who are bilingual and uh, for uh, youth 11 years on up. Wow. Yeah. And you also provide counseling on financial health and wellness as well, right? Yes, so that, we, again, we, we're taking the whole family. This is a behavioral health program. Yeah. Then we have a financial empowerment program, and that's around financial health. And that's around, you know, budgeting and, and uh, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're now uh, uh, also doing tax literacy uh, with that financial empowerment. So it's getting people how to build wealth. You know, what does that mean? Right. There's a you, you can be rich. It's not generational. Yes. And you can then you could be broke. Yes. But generational wealth. What does that mean? Handing wealth down to your children and your children's children and it's also an indigenous concept because in indigenous uh uh thinking we think about the next seven generations and and in terms of how do we leave the earth how do we care for the earth you know uh, around the environment things like that so beautiful and so uh you know and and so behavioral we have a workforce development uh, program. We're even trained, uh, training and certifying for forklift and flaggers uh, for flagging. Uh, we've got a forklift donated by our development uh, uh, department. Uh, Lisa Vega Fields knew somebody who knew somebody and got us a forklift. So we got certified and now we, we do forklift classes. We offer our building and our space to places like Grass Gang Rescue and Support Project that do a Thursday night group with uh, youth there, uh, and they do an incredible job in gang intervention programming, and they use the kind of the same programs that we use of Hovenus Nobles. Uh, you know, we uh, have a benefits enrollment help program, which is education literacy around health access and, and using your health insurance, getting you insured first, CHIPS Plus, Medicaid. We even do Medicare for our seniors. Uh, we run the Mexican consulate, uh, Ventanilla de Salud, which is translated window to health. Uh, where we were serving pre-pandemic and it's getting back there again, 25,000 a year statewide. Yeah, I saw uh, that. In health literacy, we're doing uh, cholesterol, uh, now mammogram and A1C screenings. We have a Mexican doctor who's a surgeon oncologist, born in Ohio, but raised in Aguascalientes. And him and his dad built a hospital there. But he's be- he's here with us, been with us now six years, Dr. Gonzalez Fisher. You'd like to see him, get him on the show. He's really incredible. He's got his MPH at the University of Colorado School of Public Health, too. Uh, he is our, our voice around health equity and also COVID messaging and vaccinations. We're now doing MPOX. Uh, we're still doing COVID. We're uh, doing 200 flu shots uh, next week somewhere. Uh, we, we just... Did the uh, you know we're, we're still doing this? We're at over twelve thousand vaccinations across the state, uh, from the San Luis Valley to La Junta to Yuma to Grand Junction and all of Denver Metro. You know where we have one of eleven mobile health units, which nice. is a rolling doctor's office funded by the Mexican Department of Health mm-hmm. in the United States. Don't ask me why our own government don't fund us for one. Yeah, but. You know, that's sarcastic. Yeah, no, anyway, I get it. Yeah. And then we have the largest victim services program. Describe that DV. one. What does that look like? We serve DV victims, domestic violence, vic- uh, sex assault, trafficking, and general crime victor- victims for four judicial districts. That includes 
10 counties. So would that mean they would be... Um, we serve them from, from time of victimization when they all the way... We, we take them all the way through the legal system. Would they be referred to you by a hospital, or well, how, they how do come, they enter they, the system? The, well, we train, we train a lot of the law enforcement agencies, uh, the sheriff departments, the PDs, and a lot of the municipalities in Denver Metro. We train them on how to be more culturally responsive to our communities. So then they would because, see that and say, hey, you need to go see these you know, guys. 98% in, in of, of our uh, clients in there are monolingual. So they all of our victim advocates and our case managers are bilingual and yes. fluent. And yeah. so, yeah, we have a uh, we have um, a crisis line twenty four seven, and over last year we had uh, I think fifteen thousand calls on it. Wow! So, so over a thousand calls a month. We served uh, close to eighteen hundred victims last year, and so again, ten counties all the way to Kiowa. So you, we're talking Judicial District 18 is six counties. It's, it's Rappo Douglas. It's Albert Lincoln. It's Kiowa. <laughs> I forget. I think I'm forgetting one. Man, that's, yeah. a, that's amazing, yeah. though, that you guys have that kind of reach. When, you, when it comes down to We the, have people that will drive from Craig, Colorado. That's 400 miles that's away. A, that's a long Alamosa. Way. Yeah. Trinidad. Gypsum in the Western Slope. Mm -hmm. They will drive because they can't get those services in Spanish yes. out there in their neck of the woods. That's why we're moving statewide, and we started the brick and mortar in Pueblo. Uh, and we have three programs running now. We just got up to eight staff, and we're doing reentry. We started with behavioral health. How do you mm. like that? It's a pretty, it's pretty serendipitous that we can... We started in Pueblo the way we started in Denver in 1972 in North Denver. With Same basic ba program. Behavioral health. Same yeah. basic program. Then we got reentry, and then we got benefits enrollment. And benefits is insurance enrollment, SNAP yeah. benefits, you know, getting people enrolled and access to benefits to improve their lives. Where do the um, basic emergency services fall within the programs? I was Everybody looking at that. Everybody uses our basic emergency services. It's yeah. case management, but the most, it's the food pantry. Yeah. Food security, it's huge, and it's become so uh, I think elevated by the pandemic around food insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. In this, not just this state, the city, but this country, and uh, it's it's a huge issue. As we move forward, uh, you know, there was an article in the New York Times recently around uh, the fact that uh, you know prices are just 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 accelerating through the roof like a rocket, right? Mm -hmm. And and our and our income isn't and so you know there's going to be uh some really uh i think really time uh t some really sensitive times coming where we need more resources to build uh that we're open all the time as a uh emergency service program we also do clothing there we do we even opened a pet food pantry because wow. we found that our seniors our elders were taking their food and some of them uh disclosed that they were using some of their food that they got from to use for them or to feed their pets because they couldn't afford it and that and so we said no let's let's start let's do let's do pet food 
Wow. Yeah. Do you guys have a connection to the homeless community as well? Well, we, we serve unhoused all over. I mean, we are now just become the sole source contractor for the STAR program in Denver. Which Explain is the, the STAR program. That is uh, the Street Team uh, Assistant Response Program. It is a program that uh, uh, was was brought and emulated from the CAHOOTS program in Eugene, Oregon, which is a non-police response model. Mm. Right now, that program saves Eugene, Oregon, $8.6 million a year mm. uh, in police response. And so, so the police are doing other things It's tied in with 911. Yes, gotcha. they're, they're going to the more elevated. And, and CAHOOTS and STAR is to... Uh, address the mo- the low level kind of misdemeanor issues mm-hmm. that takes police time away from dealing with the from keeping people safe. Yeah, yeah, keeping people safe and violent crime, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, significant crime. And so uh, uh, we have just got the source to provide the human service side of the programming uh, with the nine one one our partners Denver Health and Wild Power. Wow. Yeah. So, so we're ramping that up. Uh-huh. We've got seven organizations working with us throughout all corners of the city and county of Denver proper because uh, that's where it's going to be uh, centered right there. It's all the funding through the city. And uh, uh, we're hopeful to be live with that hopefully by no later the end of March. Where mm-hmm. do all these resources come from like if someone's listening to this they're like this is overwhelming they do so much like you say you know that the need is broad and so we got to make a vast attempt to try to get to everything how how do you guys get funded to try to take care of this and how big is your organization (laughs) uh you know how uh well you know the thing is is i i like to uh joke that we don't uh we don't juggle tennis balls we juggle bowling balls (laughs) at servicios but uh, once I was able to build an administration uh, with funding that I received in 2020, get that, the pandemic, we actually raised $5 million during the pandemic when a lot of uh, nonprofits didn't do, 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 do so well and mm-hmm. went, maybe went the other way. We actually doubled down and really got to work, right? And we were an essential organization. We were busy during the tam- pandemic. We were we learned how to serve virtually and remotely, but we still were meeting one-on-one with people who actually really needed uh, one-on-one services, and we did that throughout uh, um, nine months of shutdowns, pretty much, you know, s- three months each um, through January 2021. And, uh, God, uh, you know, it, 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 the, the fact that I was able to get uh, these significant dollars in from our partners, Color Health Foundation, Gary Investments, Caring for Colorado, that helped me uh, build a crack development team, a crack fiscal management team, and even human resources. Oh my God, which we <laughs> didn't have for what twelve of my fourteen years, and and it was tough, you know, because we were we were on what we called a starvation diet in nonprofit. Our programs were funded, but administration, it was like me and another person running around like chickens without heads, yes. trying to get things done yes. and keep keep everything you know, moving forward. And once I was able to get real teams of excellent uh, uh, staff in who were experts and who knew their stuff, oh my God, we just jumped. Uh, you know, our budget went and tripled in 18 months wow so we tripled our budget we tripled our staff in 18 months and we are 
again, uh, in a really significant period of growth, and we're going to continue to build like that and now develop sustainability for the organization because I'm not going to be there forever, and I want it to be able to be celebrating 50 years in 50 years. In 50 more years. In 50 more years, another uh, anniversary, you know. Yeah, you're creating a legacy project, aren't you? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I still feel I'm just living the legacy of my father. Wow. What he did and pushing that forward, you know. Yeah, you guys are looking to, you're at 80 people roughly right now. Is that right? Yeah, Am I right over there? 80 staff, and we're still hiring. We're going to be over 100 staff within the next 90 days. And, and, and how do volunteers work in your world? Uh, they, we have a lot of volunteers who work in our emergency services program. Uh, a lot of volunteers who work on, at uh, our events, which happen almost monthly now, drive me crazy because <laughs> we're just always busy. And But, you know, that's how I grew up in the movement. I remember being busy from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m., you know, uh, whether it was boxing or, or dance practice uh, for folklorico or teatro practice or guitar practice or uh, marching and protesting or, you know, <laughs> uh, we were doing some or school because the school started. My father founded Escola Plata Loco in 1970. So that's where I graduated from in 76, you know, right down there in Cap Hill, man, 16th and Downing. Good times. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you know, um, we are working to really now uh, uh, develop an incredible staff and also identify uh, staff members who are going to carry this organization forward in doing the work that needs to be done. It's an important organization. Uh, I think it's, uh, 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 it is, and I'm biased, but I'll admit it. I think we're the most important organization uh, doing uh, not just services, but advocacy in the state of Colorado. And, uh, and, and I, I just want to be able to make sure that we develop our young staff to carry that forward in that spirit of advocacy and that spirit of service to others and that spirit of servant leadership. Oh, I love that so much. And for me, when you talk about the concepts of service to others and servant leadership, that goes across cultures. That's a human thing. And it's man, a human if we thing. Can, if we can just get that And down. we serve everybody who comes through our doors. Well, we're experts in our Spanish-speaking population. We're experts in Chicano, Chicana populations, which, by the way, we're like 1.5 million in this state. Huge But we're still 800,000 are Chicano. Chicanos like me who didn't learn Spanish, aren't too bilingual, you know. Uh, I get through it, and I can, I can, you know, it has to be very slow. Don't go machine gun on me. Don't go staccato <laughs> uh, or you lose me. But, uh, you know, and... But again, that's how diverse we are, right? We're not monolithic. And so, but we need to, we're an organization, I think, that builds the bridge between the two because those, it, it, they are different. The culture is a little different and significantly different in some areas, right? And we have regional cultures from Mexico, from Central America, South America, regional languages too, you know, and dialects and stuff. So, you know, uh, but. Uh, I think this organization does such incredible work. We have staff from Honduras, El Salvador, Argentina, Colombia, Mexico, and then Chicanos like me. Wow, Rudy, yeah. you guys are doing great work. If someone, <clears throat> excuse me, if someone wanted to get involved or learn more 
about your amazing organization, how could they learn more, reach out, connect with you in some way? Well, they can call 303-458-5851 and ask for Lisa Vega Fields, our manager of development, and talk to her about opportunities around volunteering, around donating. And uh, since we're coming to the year, uh, end of the year, if you have uh, uh, extra uh while laying around and you 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 know we're uh, a 501c3 and we'll give you a letter with our tax id number and you can take it off your taxes um for 2022 uh we are uh this next wednesday we'll be out in our parking lot with a bunch of other resource vendors and we'll be having our uh fiestas felices felices uh uh, uh uh, Felices, um, which is our Christmas celebration and giveaway uh, distribution uh, with over 500 uh, turkeys and hams and full uh, food boxes that will feed a family of four through 10 for weeks. Wow. And, you know, if they're like my mom, they'll able to make uh, keep that turkey going with leftovers for a month. <laughs> I mean, I remember eating turkey cereal on day 29. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding, but mom was a great cook. Anyway, but and, and the over we have close to a thousand gifts uh, to go out to what community a and then coats service. and and also we're also uh, working to uh, uh, drive some capacity to also serve our immigrants who recently arrived to Denver and and helping the city uh, deal with that. So, so good, yeah. Rudy, I want to ask you one final question, <clears throat> and I think in By the case, way, that's December 21st, next Wednesday okay. from 9 o'clock. First come, first serve, guys. First come, first serve. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you something as a final question. Has there been a piece of advice that either you were given from your father or someone else or you learned along the way that you feel is a, a paramount piece of your foundation, a pillar, if you will, that you would share with me in the audience that we might in incorporate that advice into our lives to help us you know have have a higher quality life in some way well i think uh i think uh the biggest thing probably i learned from my dad is that uh uh really uh uh the authentic purpose in our lives is service to others it's in service to others man when yeah. we can find that we find peace right i, I think so uh, we find peace we find reward we find uh i have i i've i've found you know, I, I worked in a thousand different jobs. I never was in a job more than six years, some as short as a few months. <laughs> and this one, 14 years, it's the end. You know, it's what I, it took me 50 years to find what I love. And it's not a job if you love what you do. And Servicios is not work. It's not an organization. It's a movement. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I have been moved by the info you shared and the well, way you shared you. it with your passion. I can't thank you enough for joining us. I look forward to a long relationship together in the future. And Great. I certainly wish you all the best, Rudy. Thank you for joining us. Well, igualmente, doctor, oh, on all yeah. of the, your sentiments, especially <laughs> you. the long relationship. There we go, you my know? friend. All, yes. right. all right. Thank you, you doctor. You enjoy the rest it. of your day. Mm -hmm. Now, if this made sense to you, whether you're watching or listening, please share this message and even if it's a message of hope and service and authentic purpose, please send this to someone and use it yourself because information without execution is nothing more than wasted time. So 
Um, remember, every day you can and should make a difference. We believe in you, and we can't wait for you to turn, tune in to the next episode.